Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics. And after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends with Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives. Us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast. That's Wags and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury with your hosts, Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. So today we are discussing the second part of Disability Pride Month, things that are our community members from the private Facebook discussion group um, would like to share with everybody else things that you wish people knew things that that could use more awareness and more advocacy um, in our community so before we head on over there I will pass it to Brooke yeah we had as we explained last last episode we had a lot of comments on this um, because we asked our followers uh, what is it that you wish more people knew about SCI life in general and accessibility in general? And Disability Pride Month is a really, really good time to highlight the awareness pieces that you wish more people knew. Um, and, you know, it's the end of July now, so it's the end of Disability Pride Month. And it's International Disability Pride Month, so it's the end of that. And we just wanted to recap kind of what we learned from the month and talk about the rest of the, the uh the comments that we received on that one post because there were so many and of course the wags of SCI always know that they love to talk about this stuff because it directly impacts us and we are fierce advocates for people with spinal cord injuries so before we get into that let's first thank our sponsors Robin Wishart of Wishart Brain and Spine Law her and her team are the official advocates of the wags of SCI community so what does that mean for you? That means that if you have a legal question at all about your case, about your partner's injury, they specialize in brain and spinal cord injuries, but they also specialize in caregiver advocacy. And Robin has been helping us behind the scenes for four years now on our own cases, our own human rights cases, but not just that. She helps the community as a whole endlessly. So if you have any questions, if you want her to look over your insurance or benefits paperwork, if you want more resources in your area, or if you have a, just a legal question, maybe you need a letter, please contact us. You can go to our website, wagsofsei.com and click on legal resources, or you can contact Robin directly via her website, brainandspinelaw.com. Our second sponsor, the beautiful Annalisa Squires and her husband, John, owners of Rolling in Paradise. Rolling in Paradise is an adaptive equipment company that is VA approved and specializes in leisure equipment for your wheelchair or your disability. So if you have, if you want to get out this summer and you need a piece of equipment, please contact Annalisa because her partner, John, has been a quadriplegic for over 30 years. So she is a quad wife and we love supporting quad wife owned businesses. So please give her a shout out and visit rollinginparadise.com 
and learn what she can do to help you because nobody knows exactly what you need better than a couple in the disability community and in the WEGS of SCI community. So please show her some support. And if you need anything from adaptive equipment to trinkets for your wheelchair or perhaps a new beach wheelchair for this summer, please contact her. So let's get started. Let's tackle this head on. Elena, I'm going to be very blunt with you right now. (laughs) Did you notice that it was Disability Pride Month this month on social media? Um, No, I would say I specifically tried to look for it. I think both of us really went through social media, both on our Instagram and on Facebook. And I, I really did not see anything. I saw basically the same kind of posts from our community members with maybe a couple tags, Disability Pride Month, but I didn't see anything from big corporations, from uh, big companies. I didn't see anything really that stood out. There was no flag that was being waved for Disability Pride Month because there is no flag for Disability Pride Month. Um, there weren't really many conversations actually being had. I did. I didn't notice anything. Um, did you? Well, it's just really interesting to me. And I did. So I know that, um, the McKenzie's, so they, I forget what their Instagram tag is, uh, wheelchair life, life, something. We'll figure that out. I'll, I'll search for them right now, but they did a little campaign about disability pride month and he was posting, all month long about it. And they were the only people that I saw posting about it. So yeah, I, I, I didn't really see anything. And to be honest, I was kind of, I don't know. I was kind of upset. Okay. So, so before we get into this, their, uh, Instagram handle is at the wheel life official. And that is Johnny and his wife, Nicole. So they did a bunch of different awareness pieces on Disability Pride Month. And I know he feels the same way as us, <laughs> where he's just kind of frustrated because he's like, wait a second, you know, the LGBTQ community get an entire month and they're celebrated on every store shop and they get products made with the rainbow on. But here's the thing that kind of makes me upset is one in six people in the world live with a severe disability. That's a huge portion of the world's population. I believe it's 1.6 billion people. Um, And that's interesting to me that disability pride isn't even bigger than regular pride, right? So, I mean, we're, we're critical thinkers, you and I. And so it's kind of obvious to us why this is happening. I mean, clearly the disabled community doesn't present an opportunity for increased profits. Um, You know, so I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts around that? Um, I, well, we talk about this quite often. I think that the, that the disability community is really underserved. Um, you know, think about even any time that your partner's wheelchair needs to, needs to have a repair or your partner needs to get in to see a doctor, how long it takes to get an appointment, how long it takes. It's very slow moving, how long it takes for anything to happen in general. Like, for example, Dan, if his brake, the brake on his wheelchair breaks, it takes like over a month to get a new brake, even to get in to get serviced. So there is, I think there's a huge gap in terms of just, I guess, overall support for, for individuals living with disability. It's just, it's just not there. And 
on the bright side of things, that's where caregiver awareness begins because family members, spouses do fill in those gaps. And how many times have you repaired a wheelchair or something on the wheelchair or a piece of equipment or you've, you know, Mickey Mouse things to make them work? It's sort of the same. I feel like it's it's along the same lines for advocacy for this community is that the people living the life with their their own real life experience going through situations become the greatest advocates. And it is unfortunate because I actually didn't even see anything on like medical supply company uh, for disability pride month besides Annalisa. Yeah, you're right. Like I didn't see anything on any of, I'm not going to mention names, but I didn't see any of the big companies who provide catheters or, colostomy bags or any kind of equipment celebrating. So I don't know, maybe I wasn't looking for it, but I, I sure felt like I was. Um, and yeah, so I do believe the people within the community are the ones that are sort of leading this in general and having the conversations in general. Yeah. Right? And I mean, this would be, this could be a whole other episode for us talking about the reasons why <laughs> the government and corporations don't celebrate disabled people and what that has to do with money and, um, you know, contributions to the economy and all that stuff and how toxic it is. Right. And how, you know, I, I get kind of, I don't understand why people get so swept up in um, corporations celebrating pride anyways, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's all for money and the next thing and the latest thing. And I think we all need to remember, even as disability advocates, that corporations do not care about you. They care about how much money you spend, right? They care well, about how much money they make. And there's a lot of money to be made in this community. Medical supplies. Are I know. Cheap. <laughs> totally. Right. Totally. There is. There is. Well, there's an incredible amount of money that is being, you know, pushed around in this community. Life is very expensive for somebody with a disability. And that's why, I, again, I say that the caregivers are the ones who bridge these gaps. And it's, it's a very unseen, um, I you know, it's a very unseen job, you know, labor of love that you truly put in when you're take, taking care of your partner and, because there is just very limited support. But anyways, I don't want to get too too much into it or have my personal feelings and emotions too much into this. <laughs> but we definitely wanted to share some of the comments from the group, like we had mentioned before. Um, things that the women in our group wanted to, to, I guess, to share with each other. Things that they wish that other people knew about this life, living this life with spinal cord injury and some of the issues at hand. And a lot of these are big social issues, things that can really make or break somebody's day, somebody living with a disability. It, it depends. Really, it starts when when your wheels hit the floor and you get out of bed. So one of the big things that we've talked about many times is around accessibility, ADA in general, and parking. You know, people don't understand. I think it, the frustration is being able to live your daily lives, day-to-day tasks, being able to perform your day-to-day tasks with efficiency and ease and parking is one of those things that makes it extremely frustrating because other people who are able-bodied like to park in ADA spots or they like to park over the lines, you know, Mm -hmm. 
Well, and remember when you used to be a server and you used to talk about how Mm -hmm. with the rise of meal delivery and meal delivery services, how many of those people just go into the wheelchair spot. There's, oh, I'll just be 10 minutes or I'll just be five minutes. Yeah. And that is the excuse. Anytime that I've ever questioned anybody saying, why are you doing that? Um, I mean, you have to be careful because there's also a rise in violence in general, the way that people respond to being confronted over stupid things like parking spots, right? People just don't, I feel like their capacity to acknowledge or deal with situations has come. I don't know. It's completely gone out the window, maybe because of pandemic, maybe because we've completely forgotten how to socialize with each other. But um, yeah, parking is just a bad, bad situation. And, and yes, sure. It could be just for a minute or, or five seconds or whatever, while you're parked somewhere to pick up something, but it's, it's a huge issue for, for a person with living with a disability because they actually cannot park in any other spots. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have your car completely jammed from both sides being parked between two vehicles because you're going to need to, hypothetically, you need to have extra space to either take your wheelchair out of your vehicle and then yourself, or you need to take out your ramp, which is going to take up a lot of space and the vehicles that are parked beside you, they're just going to get damaged. You can't even get out. So all in all, this is, I would say, also one of my pet peeves um, because I see this happening all the time. And especially with people with authority, I see this happening all the time where you'll see police cars, police cars parked in areas they're not supposed to park in because they're on a lunch break or they just need to do something real quick. And um, that can be really, really tough, right? So... What do you do? I guess the best the best solution to that specific issue is, I mean, we had what, Rebecca? We had Rebecca at one point with Don't Park Like a Punk, giving out really nice messages and stickers of why did you do this? See what the violation was. I mean, it wasn't anything of, you know, like... <laughs> of authority in terms of you weren't getting penalized to pay a fine, but it was just more of an awareness piece. And I think that is the best solution is just being able to either leave a really nice note on somebody's car, or just, you can just tell them really nicely just say, Hey, I don't think you realize this, but this is why this is a problem. And then jump in your car and lock the doors and and protect yourself. (laughs) Well, and you know, I like we've encountered like I think having like a little stash of even home printed mm-hmm. little things that say, "Hey, are you aware you just parked in a handicapped parking spot? Like this is detrimental to my partner. Um, he's not going to be able to get you know I'll, whatever you want to put on there. It's a good little flyer to have in your car um, to just bring some awareness because I know that every time my husband and I have either talked to someone like felt safe to talk to someone and say, Hey, you realize you're in the handicapped parking spot, or we catch them as we're waiting for the spot and they get in their car and they realize what they've done. And they realize not just realizing what they've done. They realize they've been caught that the thing is the most effective because these people think they won't get caught. They think they'll just go in and it'll be fine. And then, but when someone who actually has a handicap placard is waiting there, um, for them to move and they get back in their car, they look so ashamed. And Evan always says it best. He's always like, well, that person will never do that again because they're caught, right? They like, I mean, catching someone is always kind of the best 
scenario when when you're in your car and you're safe, obviously, but because um, <laughs> then they you can tell they're super ashamed, and it's just like, guys, why do you, why do that in the first place? You know, like it's just so selfish. It's it's also similar with when somebody uses like an accessible stall, a bathroom stall, in a public uh, place that your partner that your partner has been standing or standing has been sitting there waiting to use. Um, and they need to do a catheter and they're like, okay, I'm like also, you know, there, there is a sense of urgency to get into the restroom at a specific time so that you don't pee your pants and then your night is ruined. But when you see somebody, this is particularly bad at like universities where students will, students will just go in and use an accessible stall, but then they'll be sitting there on their phone doing TikTok or whatever it is that they're doing and not really realizing again, it's just that awareness piece. I truly don't believe that humans in general are, are, are trying to be bad people. Like I don't believe that. Um, I think that people just are not spatially aware. They're not, they're just not aware in general of other people, especially when you're like living in like high survival mode where you're just like, okay, I get up in the morning, I make my coffee, have a shower, go to work, just like very automatic response to just, you know, forward moving, not really thinking of your surroundings, what you're doing, who you're affecting. And that's all it takes is just a little bit of awareness, just in a really nice way. Just, Hey, I don't think you realize this, but this is why it's a problem. Well, and also you don't really see that many people in wheelchairs out and about. Like I know I don't, especially in the area where we live. Um, Like this isn't, and you're talking about universities, like, you know, there's probably 0.05% uh, people that go to that school that actually use wheelchairs or that have a disability. You know, it's right. it, they just don't see it very often. So they're like, oh, there's no one here that would need that, right? Well, I know that's what they're thinking. And one of the other things that I've noticed too is um, they, you know, universities have, I guess they're kind of like these little elevators that sit beside the stairs they're kind of like ramps that you slide on and then the ramp will take you up the stairs. And I've noticed that a lot of the time they're out of service and it's like the only sliding ramp, whatever the heck this thing is, it's like the only one available in the area. So then can you imagine being a wheelchair user showing up to the regular ramp that you would take up the stairs to realize that it's out of order. And then the other thing too, is I know Dan has mentioned that many times you have to call a security to come over and even activate the ramp to get it started to move. And it takes something (laughs) sometimes it takes like half an hour for somebody to show up. They have to do paperwork. They have to write down why somebody is using the ramp. It's a whole file that you have to submit. And then they take you up. And then later when you're done your class, this I I'm specifically speaking of this situation because I, I I was with Dan when this happened. Um, And, and so then he has to call again, show up, call the security, look, you know, find it on Google or whatever, find the phone number, call security, get them to come meet you wherever you are, what building, what floor, then they come in again, then they fill out more paperwork, then they activate the ramp, and then you get to go down. So the whole process is just so slow. Everything in general, when you have a disability, like you have to be so patient to just live life, right? Like there's just so many unexpected events that can occur in just, you know, your daily living. So it's it tests your boundaries. So by all means, 
do not park in accessible parking stalls to make life easier or use accessible bathroom stalls to make life easier for those people that need them. I mean, I will say myself, I have been guilty of this before Dan's before Dan's accident. I didn't really have any awareness about disability in general. I honestly thought that people were born with disabilities and that's why they were in chairs and wow, it's been a learning curve over the last seven years. I've learned a lot. And so I can say that too, right? I mean, we, we can all learn at one point or another, we were all there. We didn't know until somebody informed us, educated us. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's, you know, this is why we do this podcast is because a lot of our followers send these episodes to people in their families or friends to help them understand their life more. So these are the kind of basic things that you, you know, these things just get forgotten, right? We're all busy. We're all, you know, everyone's just trying to make a living and go in and do their DoorDash and get out of the way and this and that. It's just, it, it can be a mess if you don't start thinking about who you're impacting, right? Um, so let's move on. Let's move on to bowel bladder sexual control. This was a big thing that came up in a lot of posts or a lot of comments on this post about how people friends, family, everyone doesn't understand that aspect of it. And I know we touch base on, we, we touched base on this in the last episode, but I really think we should talk more about it and how, what we were speaking about when, before we even started the podcast, you and I, we were talking about how everyone just thinks that we as caregivers get our partners out of bed, put them in their wheelchair. And that is kind of, that's all there is to it right? How many people do you know that actually think that? I know a ton, right? Yes, a thousand percent. And even if you bring this up to friends and family, they don't understand until they physically see, they see with their own eyes what it is that you're doing. Like, let's say you're staying over at your family's place for a weekend, or you're out with a friend and something actually goes down where your partner needs help. It's like, it could be anything, right? And and I think people like we were talking about this before the podcast, people think that just because you have insurance, let's say you got injured and you have insurance that it's like, you're getting this great big payout that you're getting this like big bonus. It's like, you're going to be living, you're a millionaire. Now you, you got injured at work. So you get coverage for the rest of your life and you're set for life. And that's not true. That's not it. Like what you were saying, um, <clears throat> These these women, these caregivers are doing a thankless job, meaning that there is nobody here to recognize the work that you're doing except for your partner. And it's <laughs> it is it's it's a lot of work that is not being recognized and it's not being recognized by the government. And no, you do not. You did not win the lotto when you got injured and have insurance. You're barely making it by with fighting for every single thing that you need covered through insurance. Right, Brooke? Well, I think this story, cause I mentioned it in the comments in this post, I think this little story is definitely worth telling cause I'm very open and honest about, um, everything that we've been through my husband and I as a couple since his injury. And I think, you know, when he first got injured, there were lots of family members that just did not understand they kind of treated it as like, oh, he gets time off a vacation. And then they kind of moved into the whole, well, he's going to get looked after by workers' compensation. And of course, I will say that having workers' compensation, you know, having paid into it your whole working life, having that insurance, if you get injured at work, it's a huge blessing. You know, there's no 
There's no denying that. But however, you know, my partner's side of the family, they all kind of thought that he had won the lottery and he was going to get some sort of big settlement and he was going to be looked after for the rest of his life, which is by far not even close to being true. And um, I, I think that's a really, really important thing to highlight because I know a lot of people that think when they see people that have been disabled or in wheelchairs, they think that they're either taken care of by their insurance, they've got a huge settlement and they're good, or they're being looked after by mommy and daddy government. I, I think that is a huge thing that needs to be kind of shaken up and people need to realize that that is not what happens. I know I commented under that post as well that I said, like, I've spoken to people in the past that actually say, well, we have a good government. We have a good healthcare system here when if I ever, because I always say, oh, it could happen to anyone, right? Spinal cord injury does not discriminate. And they'll always say back, well, at least we have a good system here. We're looked after, you know, we're not, we're not turned out on our, on our backs helpless. And I'm just like, well, think again, right? The government does not look after you, right? Um, so I think what I would really love people to understand is that you're not looked after after a disability. I don't care what insurance you have. It is a battle. You have to fight tooth and nail to get basic, basic needs met. And if you don't have insurance, the government does not look after you. You get an extremely small pension. You get an extremely small payment every month that is not even enough to cover your rent. And it, it's not enough to live at all. Right. And so this, mm -hmm. you know, we could circle back to Disability Pride Month and why it's not celebrated by corporations. Because when people are disabled and they've lost hope and, and they don't have enough income to support the machine of consumerism, they don't get any special attention. Right. Right. I mean, <clears throat> well, I feel like the most support that the government does provide for individuals living with disabilities is, is through education. You can, you can uh, go, go back to school. You can learn a completely new career. The government will cover a, a very good portion of your education because you are now being brought back to the, to the work zone of society, right? You're able to contribute once again, um, by learning a new skill or getting a new job. And <clears throat> that is one of the best ways, but even still, that is very hush hush. Um, a lot of, I was going to say, don't know. I was going to say, were you, did you know about this? Like, because here's the thing, we were not told about this by our social worker in jail no. strong. We were not given those options. No. And I would argue all. that is the biggest, <laughs> that was literally like the biggest piece of information that's that, missing. That would have been the most important piece of information to have presented to us at the time of injury for all sorts of reasons. Think about at the time of injury, when you're feeling quite hopeless and you've just lost so much and you're relearning everything, if somebody said to you, can you imagine you will be able to go back to school and you'll be able to learn something new and it will be, <clears throat> it'll be covered for you because you have a disability, you will have a good chunk of this covered and how much hope that would give somebody who has gone through such a a traumatic change in their life. And that is something that is not shared by anybody, it seems, except for us and whoever is going yeah. to school. Like Dan, he tells everybody about it now. He's like, you know, when he sees 
the individuals he's working with or people that he meets through the spinal cord injury community when he sees them living their life in broken down chairs and chairs that need replacing and backrests that are so old or cushions that are so old that they're completely flat and people spend the majority of I mean, they spend their lives in these chairs. And he, that's when he says, Hey, did you know that if you just go take a course or two, you can have this covered, you can get a new chair through the funding, through the government. If you, if you do that. So, I mean, he's even offered this information to our 73 year old neighbor who, (laughs) you know, has a disability. And he's like, listen, if you, did you know that you can do this and you can get some coverage and, and you can get some money from the government to learn something new. I mean, that's a very, very valuable too. So I guess that being said, that is something I would like everybody to know that if you go back to school and you take some courses, you can feel a lot of financial freedom that way to be able to just get by. Again, it's not like you're winning the lotto, but it it is a tremendous difference for somebody who has absolutely nothing, who's sterilizing and reusing the same catheters over and over again potentially getting a UTI, potentially being hospitalized. That's a huge game changer. That's a quality of life piece right there that I would like everybody to know. Yeah, for sure. And keep in mind to all our listeners, we're talking about Canada here. Um, I know in the States, the States is more privatized and they're not as socialist slash communist as Canada, as Canada is. Um, so they don't have as many of these programs. However, the benefit of being in the States is that they have more foundations and associations that look after this in a different way. So please go on the private group. If you're a WAG of SCI listening to this and you want to take advantage of some free education or bursaries for education or discounted education in your area, please go on the WAGs of SCI discussion group and ask these questions because there's a lot of women that have access to different foundations, different educational bursaries, different scholarships that are available that you may not know about. And there are thousands of them. I know that there is a website and I don't know it off the top of my head. You could just do a quick Google where um, they basically outline all of the bursaries and tuition supplementations that are available through various foundations in the States that just don't get used um, that are available. And there are, like I said, thousands of them. So make sure you do that research because education and it empowers you depending on, you know, it it develops critical thinking skills. And, you know, although some could say that education is kind of creating, you know, you're playing into the system, it still is developing skills that you wouldn't have had before, especially if like, say you're a construction worker before you got injured and you can't do that anymore after you have an injury, unless you're working in an office. Right. right? So you want to, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything physical, you want to develop new skills. You want to, maybe you want to get your business degree. Maybe you want to get a marketing degree, right? These are all things that are available to you. So make sure that you empower yourself with with education. And um, if you have any resources, we would love to hear from you. If you have been through the system in the States and you know where to get some scholarships, please let us know because that's a very untapped resource. It's very, very true. So the next comment, we have a lot of comments. We have a lot of questions around fertility. Um, so, so many questions, people, I think that's like one of the first questions that people in general like to ask somebody with a spinal cord injury. Can you still do it? Can you still have intercourse with your partner? Can you have babies? Um, 
my question is, do you have the energy to be a caregiver and have babies um, and, and have a family? That's a big one. And I know that there are so many women that is made possible for them in our community through various uh, fertility treatments and avenues that, yes, these things are still made possible for you. Um, and yeah, the energy piece is big for me. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I I don't know how these women with kids do it. It's crazy. I I props to you ladies who have children and a partner with a spinal cord injury. Um it's I I don't know how you do it. You guys are the strongest women ever. Um, but I think that a lot of women from from this discussion thread, a lot of women are kind of frustrated at the fact that people don't understand how much effort it is to not only conceive a child, but how expensive it is, especially if you are in the States, right? This is a huge money-making industry. Um, and a lot of people do not have IVF covered and they have to spend at least $100,000 in order to have a child. And I know the VA, because we had an ambassador that uh, was a member of the VA. Her husband uh, was injured in combat and they pay for three rounds of IVF. But unless you have a really good insurance or a really good, you know, insurance provider, you don't have access to that. So a lot of people, WAGs in this community are really frustrated because of the, of the cost that it, it takes to have a family if they want one after right. this. It's true. Everything's very expensive. This would be a, this, yeah. that would have been a great, uh, contributed to pride month. They could have sponsored some advertising that way um one of the other things that we talked about again going back to ada is showing up to a restaurant or going to an outing and clearly your partner's paralyzed in a wheelchair but the restaurant or the outing you are attending it says things like it's only just two steps or or <laughs> or it's only just through those doors that you're partner's chair can't even fit through. So anyways, um, that has been a big one. Cracked sidewalks. That is a big one. How bad cracked sidewalks are doors that are too heavy and not electric opening. Um, that is a big issue we had in our old neighborhood. Dan and I, for the first year, literally would take photos of sidewalks that would not have like a lip let down. It would have what to get on to the sidewalk, but not to get off of the sidewalk. And you don't realize that until you get to the very end and have to turn around. So just really bad, poor city planning for sidewalks, I guess. Um, but again, these are all advocacy um, avenues as well. So taking a photo, sending it to your city. Yes, it's time consuming. Yes, it's a little annoying. But um, in our city, specifically in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, we have had really great results and really good feedback and support that way from the city themselves to make these changes and make life and living more accessible for individuals with, with uh, disability. Yeah, for sure. I'm actually doing that this week. I have to submit some photos. Our favorite little dog park, dog beach area has an accessible path and accessible uh, pier to get onto so that my husband can watch me throw the ball for our dog. And he's like over the water and it's a really, really great beach. And we had a storm a few weeks ago here in Vancouver and uh, the pathway to get to the dock was completely I don't know what happened. It looks like there was like a big 
puddle that had given way to a stream and all of it was knocked out. And so it's impossible for him to get on it anymore. And it's just been kind of like that for a few weeks now where he can't access the dock anymore. And it's interesting because you put down a you know, some pebbles so that people can bridge the gap as to where the area was destroyed by the storm. But, and you can get by if you're able-bodied, but they're not thinking about the fact that there's people in wheelchairs that need to access that area, that it's kind of taken that away from them. And so that's where I come in is because I'm like, you know what, this is a simple email with some photos and say, hey, you guys kind of forgot about people in wheelchairs. This is one of the only beaches that you can get very, very close to the water and kind of observe I'm going to tell them the whole story about me throwing the ball from our dog and how he can watch and participate. And I'm sure they'll fix it right away. But these are the things that people don't think about, right? They think, oh, we just put some gravel over it and it should be fine. It's like, no, <laughs> the no, quick it's not. Fix. The Gravel is the worst. Yeah, yeah it's, really, sure. it's really frustrating. I mean, it's really frustrating yeah. when you, when you see these very like blatant issues that, that you think it would just take a little bit of effort to deal with this, to fix this so that we can all participate in society and participate in life that, you know, there aren't these boundaries, these very obvious boundaries of letting people enjoy things like going to the park, you know, the fresh air. Um, one of the, one other comment that I noticed come up multiple times and it's very true is around friends, losing friends, things that people wish that you knew is, um, I think, I mean, we've talked about this many times. I think that there are some blessings with that because not everybody is capable of dealing with your trauma. And sometimes it's better just to close those doors, shut them, shut them tight, put a lock on it. (laughs) Don't open them again. But this is very common. It's very normal. If you're listening and you have lost some friends through this injury, I have a few things to say about that. One is that people change in in general. Um, If you have relocated that it takes extra effort to go and see your friends that live in different cities. Um, Maybe you just don't have the same interests anymore and guaranteed you have changed in a huge way. And sometimes that makes people feel uncomfortable right? Because they feel like they just can't relate. They don't know what to talk about. They don't know what to say to you. They don't know how to support you. They can't even support their own feelings around what they're seeing, trying to make sense of the whole bit, right? So it can be very, it can be really challenging, but don't, don't fret too much because I always believe that closed doors, um, it's like the law of the universe, closing some doors, many more will open. It's just the way it is. For sure. And I think, you know, as you know, we've all gone through that where people have, you know, disappeared or people have slowly skipped out on things or left your life for various reasons. And we're not saying this is all SCI related, but it's something that a lot of women on the group struggle with is people disappearing from their partner's lives just because of their spinal cord injury. And It's interesting because what I've noticed is people aren't very, they're not into change, right? A lot of people don't like change. Just in general, humans don't really like change. It's really uncomfortable. So I've noticed, especially with men, a lot of men have activity-based relationships. Like they'll be gym buddies or they'll be outdoor activity buddies or they'll be swim buddies or whatever they're doing. It's always activity-based, 
And I find that when a spinal cord injury happens, a lot of friends kind of drop off because they don't know what to do with that person who's had the spinal cord injury anymore. They don't have the friendship basis to function with, you know, doing other things that don't require these inaccessible activities, right? And they don't know what to do. And so they just kind of drop away, which is totally fine because you can't expect any more of them if they, if they don't know what to do. Right. Um, but like you, like I'll, I'll say that those people are not your, they're not your tribe. They're not the people that are meant to be in your life because the people that are meant to be in your life will be okay with change and will adapt and will think about how you feel. And they'll put effort into finding new things that you can do together in order to maintain that friendship. But I always think to myself, you don't really want those friends around you that are just into doing physical things that you can't do anymore. You know what I mean? And I know it's harder as a guy, (laughs) but uh, this is just something that is really obvious to me. It's just like, maybe they don't have the capacity to think of new things to do and they don't want to have friendships that are not physically based. And that's totally fine. But there's a lot more to being friends than doing activities that are inaccessible, I find. Right. And and some of the best friendships I have are over just like sitting and talking, conversation, right? Just enjoying the moment, sitting, relaxing, having a cocktail, having some nice food, just having conversation, just being able to do nothing. <laughs> Those are well, some, some of the best well, moments. <laughs> I just keep thinking about though how male relationships and how different they can be and how you know, these guys who have sustained spinal cord injuries, it gives you a chance to flex your other muscles when it comes to emotional connection, mental connection, um, you know, doing things that are not brute and brawn, but still maintaining your masculinity. It's a huge, huge challenge for a lot of these guys, but it also gives you something that not many other men have, which is the ability to truly conversate and have in-depth relationships that are deeper than just the physical. So it is, there's always an opportunity. There's always a silver lining. And as hard as it is, you know, for some, especially since a lot of our partners in the group were very physical people before their injuries, right? There's a lot of extreme sports that got them injured. There's a lot of workplace accidents. It's very challenging, right? Well, it's, this is true. There's a higher probability for injury when you are a male who's very, who's likely to be more extroverted and taking high risk activities as, as daily life, you know, like participating in high risk activities, which are physical. So that's uh that is definitely very true. You will see that in our community. That is how injuries happen. Um, one of, one of the other things, <clears throat> there's a couple comments here that say there are so many health issues that come along with SCI and the huge difference between the levels of injury, how much care is actually involved. And then the other comment says people don't realize that his hands don't work. They just see, they see him in a wheelchair and they think it's just his legs. Just again, there's just not a whole lot of in general, I think like in the media in general, there's not a whole lot of awareness around what is a spinal cord injury. People think, okay, so you hurt your back or somewhere in your spinal cord, but there's just not a lot of people just don't understand, right? That there are so many other parts of the body that are being affected so greatly that when you have a spinal cord injury, depending again on level of injury, it really depends on more than just level of injury. It depends on like, how were you injured? How did you get hit? How did, you know, there's just so much to it. How did you recover? How did your body recover? 
were you a physical person before the injury? Were you taking care of yourself before the injury? You know, there's just so, so, so much with it. How's your microbiome? How are you healing? Do you have pressure wounds? Are you able to have a quality of life? Are you able to feel good in your body? Or are you in a whole bunch of inflammation and pain and discomfort where you're unable to heal? And then it's like, how is your brain being affected by that? How is your mental health? Like it all goes together. And it's a varying scale. Some days, one day might be good. The next day might be really horrible you know, in terms of how you're feeling, your level of injury, the pain, how, and that affects how well, I know some days, like Dan had the, uh, the nerve transfer surgery. And some days, you know, he feels like he's more capable of using opening, closing his hands than others. It's just so varying. There is no direct, there's no cookie cutter mold for this injury. It's all so different. And I think that's another you know, good piece to keep in mind is when women, the, one of the first questions they'll ask each other is, so what level of injury is your partner? Is he a quadriplegic versus a paraplegic? What level? And then they start to kind of run with the comparison thing where, oh, well, my partner is also a C6, but my partner can do this, but mine cannot do this. There's just so much to it that it's not just one size fits all depending on the level of injury that you're your partner sustained. Yeah. And it's so complicated. And I think that this is a really good awareness piece for friends and family, because again, they think that walking is not being able to walk is the biggest issue. And while it is a big issue, it is just the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, if you haven't already, you can Google spinal cord injury, tip of the iceberg diagram, and it'll come up with, you know, the top is like, the injury, but then all below the surface is all the other stuff that nobody would ever think of that had anything to do with SCI. I know that when my partner was first injured, I had absolutely no idea that the secondary conditions are what would make life the hardest. It would be the hardest thing is the secondary conditions, the bowel bladder, the timing, everything around that, the, uh, the nervous system disorder, the mental stuff, all of that stuff. Like I never even dreamed of, uh, of how much effort that would be to planning your life around that stuff. And also, you know, having to say no to activities having to say no to overnight trips with your friends, having to say no to family events, because not just about the, even if it is an accessible place you're going to, there could be other things that are getting in the way of that, that nobody seems to know. Right. So I think it's really important to talk about the tip of the iceberg. And that diagram is really, really good for anybody who has not seen it yet. Um, so make sure you send that to your friends and family and you take a look yourself because it is <laughs> not moving is definitely just the tip of the iceberg. So, I mean, there's a lot to that. So we could go on and on about that. And I know we have in previous podcasts, but it's really important for people mm-hmm. to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm actually just reading a comment that basically talks about it, how timing is everything, how everything is very unpredictable, you know, social, family, personal things get affected by, by how quickly things can change um, in terms of health. I mean, this summer specifically, we've canceled so, so many different um, outings and get togethers and dinners with friends, dinners with family, not being able to show up to certain events and canceling flights and canceling going to a wedding because 
things can change so quickly, literally overnight, depending how your partner is feeling. And it doesn't really make much sense to continuously push and push and push yourself just so you can show up to events. Like I've said to Dan so many times, I'm like, it's just one summer. It's just one wedding. It's just one flight or something, you know, like you can always, always reschedule and you can always start over and you can always try again. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it really helps when friends and family truly understand this. Um, so, okay. I know we touched base on this last time. Um, but I think we need to reiterate it for people to really understand that people can't get married. Like couples like us can't get married without losing funding, especially in the States. So funding, insurance, Medicare, the, um, the percentage that Medicare or your insurance will fund your equipment and your medical supplies all goes down or even disappears entirely when you have dual incomes. And just the fact that like so many of people on the WEGS private group cannot actually get legally married. They have to just have commitment ceremonies and they have to have separate addresses because they know that if they officially get married, then that person will lose access to like thousands of dollars a month in medical supplies. And, you know, these policies were made by people in Congress and in government that have actually no idea what it's like to live with a spinal cord injury and how much it actually costs you and how your partner and your marriage shouldn't have to suffer just because you have two people living there with, you know, the other person may have another income. They want you to live under the poverty level, it seems. And so you kind of have to choose between love and between your medical supplies, which, you know, you need those things to live. So it puts you in a horrible position, a horrible position because you know, this is something that nobody talks about. We're talking about equality and rights for all right now in our mainstream news and our society. And, you know, the government wants to create equality for all, but people are ignoring the fact that they still cannot access marriage unless they want to lose funding. And so I think that definitely needs to be brought up. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's true. Cause and, it's serious. Well, and you can check out the Washington Post article done by Amber Ferguson, she's done a couple, but a big one about how America treats women is basically the gist of the article, how women are not being compensated for taking care of their, of their partners. Um, and that's, the, that's the one thing that I don't really understand is how are women taking care of their partners and going to work and their, their funding is being cut off as well. They're getting penalized. So how do you do anything? How do you, how do you do it? How do you actually do it? Yeah. Tell me the I, secret, Brooke. I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't like, I know there was some comments about like my husband makes just over the, the, you know, he makes quote too much money as a pharmacist. So he doesn't get disability benefits. Um, even though, and then they have to pay all of these crazy costs towards things like, like catheters and, and just the burden is so much because people don't understand um, how expensive it is. So uh, yeah, these are all these stories that are just so important to talk about because that like these things should not be happening um, in our society. Right. You know what? I, <laughs> there's another comment here that we've made memes about this in the past on our page and, 
we like to poke fun at it, but I think it is a really good thing to add to this podcast. And that is when you meet somebody or you're talking to someone in your family, or you meet somebody literally on the street where you're talking about your injury and they say, Oh, I was in a wheelchair for surgery that I had and it was terrible. So I know how you feel. Um, there's probably a lot of you listening that have experienced that, if not all of you at some point in your journey with spinal cord injury, where someone says, Oh yeah, like I, I know how you feel. And I have kind of a few tips on how to handle this. So firstly, I really believe that people have the best intentions and they just want to have something in common to talk to you about. I know that when my husband was, there's a fine line though, right? Like I, I feel like there's a lot of stories that I do have of people saying stuff like this, where it's just like, you are actually tone deaf. You're not trying to find commonality with this person. You're actually just, I don't know what you're doing, <laughs> but my, my husband's uh, family member, I won't say who, when he first got injured was talking about how they injured their back. And um, they were able to get back on their feet within six months and how they know how he feels because they had such a horrible injury and they had to have surgery and they were, but they did bounce back. So he should be able to bounce back. So, I mean, there's been a lot, and I know a lot of you out there listening can, can mm-hmm. relate to this. So I think that's definitely important for awareness. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, like you said, it is a very common theme within the group that, one time I, I broke my leg and I had a cast and yeah. now I can't walk or yes. I sprained my ankle and it was really awful. Um, yeah. which kind of ties into like all the secondary conditions that people don't see, like people don't see. It's almost like an invisible, uh, invisible disability. Like some people that, that are able to use a walker to walk or some people who have a spinal cord injury, but, but are able to walk those are also, they're still living with the secondary symptoms of a spinal cord injury. It's not like a miraculous healing. There's just so much that's tied up with that as well, right? There's a lot of nerve pain. You don't see things. You don't see the nerve pain. You don't see the discomfort. You don't see the accidents that these people are still having. Um, The frustration, your body's still not working the way it once was. And you're just trying so hard to get get it to do things it's not capable of there's there's a lot there right and even with dan it's like people don't don't know like my partner has to do a very regimented morning routine program of stretching just stretching itself right not to mention the having the help to get dressed to use a toilet to um I don't know, make a meal. There's just so much. There's so much. It's a full-time job, really. Uh, when you have a, when you're living with a disability and sometimes I, like, I'm always amazed at seeing him going to school, like going by himself, going to do these things. I'm always concerned because I'm like, well, you're still a quadriplegic living in a wheelchair, but being able to get back to quote unquote, a new normal or whatever it is to be able to live live a life where you have enjoyment, where you have peace, where you have, you're able to reconstruct your life and the things that matter to you. Right. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, it is really inspiring to watch for sure. Um, I think that's one of the biggest silver linings of being a wag of SCI is being able to watch the resilience of these guys when they do when they are able to get their footing back um, and 
are able to inspire themselves and motivate themselves enough to make a big change. It's, it is really, it's really amazing. Um, so the last kind of issue or awareness piece that we're going to talk about before we wrap up this episode on um, Disability Pride Month is jobs and finding work. And so there were quite a few comments about women who are in their 50s and 60s who have professional husbands. They're, you know, they sit on, they have high, high level jobs, engineers or, you know, some doctors or some specialists or some people on, on boards, uh, finance boards, financial officers, all of that stuff. And they're talking about how hard it is for their partners to find work. And, you know, what's really interesting is we had one follower who's also a friend of ours, who was talking about her husband's search for work, and he needed to find a job pretty quickly. And they went to a disability job fair. And this was in Canada. So I mean, this was a big deal. Um, our, our Prime Minister goes on and on and on about how inclusive everything is here. But in reality, it's not. Um, and so this is a good example of that. He went to a job fair. And he said he went to a bunch of different booths, he had qualifications for a lot of different jobs. Um, and everybody kind of looked at the wheelchair. And he said he could tell that they were judging, they were looking at it and saying, uh, you know, this is an inclusive job fair, but I don't know if it's actually like he said, it's not actually inclusive. And this was an inclusive job fair. And he said the only company that was willing to hire him, no questions asked, um, and actually take his application seriously was McDonald's. And this is in a country ca called Canada that is supposed to be quote, inclusive and diverse. Right. And so this was a, this, again, this was a job fair for people with, um, for companies that wanted to be inclusive and diverse, which was the most funny part of all of it. And so he couldn't even find a job at a place like that. So when it comes down to it, a lot of these companies can be very judgmental. And, you know, all of these companies are filled with words and they say on their websites, yes, we're inclusive, we're diverse, isn't that? But are they? I don't know if a lot of them are yet. I don't think that it's, that it's a big thing. There was one comment in here that was talking about her husband qualifies for various different uh, business opportunities. Um, and he has more experience than a lot of the people that are on different boards and high level jobs that he's qualified for. Um, but because he's in a wheelchair, they don't take him seriously. And he doesn't get much recognition. And I think that is a really, really big issue in our community is how, you know, the world is opening up to inclusive and diversity. But are these statements that these companies make are they, with a few exceptions, obviously, but from my perspective, I don't see it in an actionable form. I don't see it in reality. I see it as just a bunch of words. And so I think there's a lot of wags that share that frustration with uh, employment and employment opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that needs to be looked at. Yeah, no, 100%. And especially, especially because he was just offered a job at McDonald's. So yeah, like, okay, thanks. Like, <laughs> so what, what at McDonald's is it that you would like me to do? You, you like cook fries, uh, run a till, clean the bathrooms. Yeah. Like what, what yeah. is going on here? Um, <clears throat> specifically because there are some really great careers. There's, there's a lot of opportunity for individuals in wheelchairs. <laughs> it's not just limited to, uh, entry level position working at a fast food joint. So do not get discouraged. There are some fantastic jobs out there for you. Do not stop. 
applying for those and keep showing up. And that's kind of, I feel like that's the gist of life in general when it comes to advocacy is advocating for yourself means sometimes almost hitting a wall, becoming very, very exhausted by your efforts because you just keep on going, keep going, keep pushing, don't give up, keep going, keep going, keep going. And that is the law of the universe. It will come back to you at some point or another, but you have to put it out there. And that, um, I know that, like we said, this month is not really publicized in the media, um, in any way, but we are here to make a difference and we are here to make a change. And we hope that you too will continue to use your voice for, for the people that we love in our lives who happen to have disabilities and just keep sharing your stories. Keep making posts. If you are on social media, please use the hashtag wags of SCI when you are posting your stories, your shares, good news, not so great news, whatever it is that you would like more awareness and exposure to, for example, how airplanes are not accessible in any way. We can get more into that. Uh, But if you have a story with an airline that is a great airline and you've had a great experience, please use the hashtag Wags of SCI at, uh, sorry, Wags of SCI or email us Wags of SCI at gmail.com. And we will be happy to continue spreading all the news, all the exposure, keep on sharing, keep on, keep on keeping on, keep on using your voice. Yeah. And, and a little tip, if you didn't catch the episode last week about part one, a little tip for anyone out there who is looking for more access or who's had a pretty terrible airline experience, which a lot of us has Don't bother emailing customer service because it's hidden. I have received three pieces of advice from different airlines now, and they all say a very similar thing, and that involves social media. So like what you were saying earlier, Elena, about share your stories. So if you share a story and you tag, you know, for instance, United Airlines or Air Canada on the story, all of these people that I spoke to said they're way more likely to actually not just respond to you, but actually do something about it than they would be if you were to just email or phone call them because those things are not public. I know it's terrible to say, but it is the truth. These companies, they care about their reputation, especially since the airline industry is going downhill, right? So they they don't want to look this bad. So I would use your your social profiles as much as possible if you want to make real change and that's not just for airlines that's for all companies even if you've had like say you're looking for a job and you've had you had really bad experience with a situation always make sure to tag them on your public profile on social media because they will respond right away and they do really care so thank you everyone for tuning in today for our part two. We hope that next July will be a little bit more fruitful for Disability Pride. We hope that there will be more uh, people spreading awareness and using their platforms for change even more than there is now. And we will definitely be participating in that. So yeah, thank you for tuning in and we look forward to talking again in our next episode next week.